Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. I was thinking about Ephesians in general and, and how far we've been. I think this is the 55th sermon in the book of Ephesians, and we still have some to go. Uh, it's a tremendous book, tremendously full of wisdom, of course, the Word of God, doctrine, very practical ways of, of how we're to live. And, um, and, and the one thing that sometimes as we're reading through the Word of God and we hit a part uh, of, the, of the Word, which we often do, which um, is rough. It is hard on us. It exposes us. It speaks to us in ways that is painful. And we realize, we've, we look in this mirror and we, we see the dirt. We see where we've fallen short. And of course, it's important that we continue to read because as we read the Word of God, whether it's in the Psalms or other portions of Scripture, the point isn't to stop there, is not simply to expose where we've fallen short, not simply to show us the sin, but to show us the way, to show us Christ, to show us God's perfect way for us, that God is at work and He is transforming us into the image of Christ. There is something going on in the Word of God and in us, and He's not just given us words, He's not just a Father who is lecturing us and shaking His finger at us and telling us we've been naughty. He has given us His Spirit. He's given us a family to live in. He's given us an environment along with those instructions that help us to grow and to move away from those things that are killing us, that are hurting us, that are uh, damaging the relationships that we're in. He wants us to have an abundant life. That's the goal of Ephesians. That's the goal of the Bible is to give us the whole thing, not just the diagnosis, but the remedy. And so don't forget that as we work through here and, and talk about these things. Inevitably, if we're to make that progress, there will be moments of pain, moments in which we realize we've fallen short. But the purpose of that, again, is to point us in a new direction. Now, today I want to talk about the fact that... Uh, it is possible for us to possess a name, a title, or a position. We can actually possess those things and yet fall short of them, not live up to them. We hear about someone who doesn't live up to their family name or who doesn't actually do the things that they claim that they are doing in a particular job or position. So that not every leader leads. Not every nobleman is noble. There are many husbands and wives, parents, students, employees, soldiers, 
and yes, Christians in this world. Married people with children enrolled in classes, hired by a company, enlisted in the service, or baptized church members. So they have those titles, they have those positions, if you will, but we also know that, that in each of these positions, there must also be a corresponding reality in order for that to be fruitful or meaningful. It's not enough to have those titles. It's not enough to have those positions. They are essential. They are important. But we need more. And so, it's not enough simply to be married or to have a baby or to go to school or have a job or wear a uniform or join a church. There are husbands and wives that are unfaithful. There are abusive or neglectful parents. There are failing students, lazy employees, and soldiers who are absent without leave. And it is possible... It is possible to be a baptized church member who doesn't follow Jesus. All of these positions should change who we are and how we live. These changes should not only happen, but they should be dramatic. They should be obvious to anyone who sees us. And if we continue to fail to show the evidence or the fruit of our positions, we should remember that we might lose them. There is divorce and the loss of parental rights and expulsion from school and being fired from our jobs and court-martialed from the military or excommunicated. In each of these cases, it is the person that fails, that is the cause of such an action. Of course, and this is an area where I really want to focus, there are many who fall in between and I think are at risk of losing their positions. Perhaps a minimal performance keeps them hanging on by a thread. Jesus warns in John chapter 15... He says this, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, okay, there's our baptized church member. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I've joined the church. I've taken on the name. I've baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus says, every branch in me, there's some sense in which they are in Christ, that does not bear fruit. He, my Father, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And the branch, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide or remain in me. There's the source, there's the power, there's the the real thing that we're after is to genuinely be in Christ in, in a living, vital way so that there's fruit being born. We can see it. It's not 
We don't look in here, we look out here to see what's going on. And so, if, if you have fruitless branches, you should beware. The Apostle Paul has been writing to the Ephesians concerning what it looks like, what a Christian looks like. What he looks like in the world, what he looks like compared to unbelievers. The current evidence of God's saving work is seen in what we call sanctification, which is, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. There is this progression, this growth, less sin, more righteousness, a maturity, movement. It's evident. It can be seen. And so sanctification, which is another word for holiness, is not a single act, but rather it is the fruit that is, that is worked out in our lives. It is our condition, our state. In fact, Paul is arguing that who you are in Christ will be seen in how you live, and that if you don't live the Christian life, then the truth is you're still in darkness no matter what else you might say. Now some of you, or excuse me, not some of you, but some have taught that sanctification is something that just happens to you, that it's passive, it, uh, it's a title that is just bestowed upon you by God, and you're done. Now you, can, you got your ticket, you can go to heaven, you can relax, it doesn't really matter what you do now, Jesus died for you, you've had your sins forgiven, so kick back and enjoy. Yeah, it would be good if you would treat your wife a little better and tithe and do some good things, but it really doesn't matter because once saved, always saved, you're in, you got it, you got it made. It just doesn't matter that much. And after all, I'm not looking for a bunch of stars in my crown. Uh, I'm just happy to go. If I can just get into heaven, if I can just get that far and avoid hell, I don't really care how many stars are in my crown. You know any people like that? Now, they may not say it quite that crassly, but there are a lot of people who live like that, who think that somehow this is a big bucket that just fell out of the sky and, and that's, they're done. Now, others say that, no, there's a little bit more to that. You do have to actively look to the Lord, kind of a name it and claim it. Now, there's not really a lot to do, no real struggle, no real difficulty. You just need to claim the victory. Just say it like that. That, that's, that helps a lot if you just kind of do it with a little gusto. And so, if this is true, though, why did Paul write these epistles? There's a lot of instruction here if we don't need all that. Why does he take up so much space with his arguments about how we should live? You know, I became a husband... In an instant, when the preacher said, I now pronounce you husband, in that moment, in that exact moment, I became a husband. I became a parent. It's a boy. 
in that exact moment, I was in the, in the operating room for the C-section, and, and I saw that exact moment. And then I became a pastor. We have a photograph of my ordination with people laying hands on me. In that moment, I became a pastor. There was that instantaneous thing. I received a title. In all those three cases, I received a new position. But the struggles, the working out of those things was ongoing. It began then, but it just began, and then it has continued in all those cases. I had things to learn. I had things to practice. Wisdom and maturity didn't fall from the sky. They came little by little, day by day. To change the analogy, kindergarten came before graduate school. Now the Bible is clear that sanctification and holiness comes by way of a constant application of the truth. Another illustration I've thought about and I've used before, I think, is if suddenly you had an inheritance, you were you have received an inheritance from your father. Let's say your father passed away and you, you now are there for the reading of the will and you discover you've received an inheritance. What's the next thing you need to know? How much? Was it a dollar? Was it a million dollars? How much was it? Because... If I don't know what I have, I can't begin to use it. And oftentimes I think that's what happens with Christians. We receive the name Christian. We know we are Christians. We have some vague idea of what that is. But we have failed to understand just what it is we have been given. We have been given not just a title, not just a name, but we've been, as we're going to see, we, didn't just, we weren't just brought into the light. We became light. That changes everything. That changes how I see the world. That changes how I see myself, how I live, how I want to live. My desires are changed. Everything is transformed, and He has given me everything I need for that to happen. Not only the information, but the power. And so, it's true that you must realize, you must embrace the truth of your titles and your positions, But they are far more than metaphors. God does not simply look at you and pretend that you're holy when in reality you're just the way you used to be. So sometimes we'll talk like that. Well, God sees you in Christ, and and therefore you're not guilty. That's true. That is a true statement. But if you stop there and you think that that's it, that that's the end of the story, then you've missed it. Now what? What does that mean? How does that show itself? A fundamental transformation has begun and continues, or it should have. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. What does he mean by that? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so Paul has given us both negative and positive arguments that lead us to these injunctions. We began last week, or week before last, where he says, walk in love. Today, he's talking about our walking. And by walking, he means living in the light. And then we will be talking about next time, walking in wisdom. Or that'll be coming up. 
But today we're focused on what it means to walk in light. This is the foundational difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. Remember, you could have the name Christian, that is, you could be a baptized church member and still not be a Christian in the most fundamental and important sense. In other words, you can claim to be in the light while still being in the dark. It's the light, not the claim, that makes the difference. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He went on to say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When Jesus addressed his followers, he said to them, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. In other words, because of our relationship with him, we are lights that cannot be hidden. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. This was why Jesus came into the world, as John writes of Him, who was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. This is one of the primary ways that the Bible presents the truth of the Christian faith. The difference between the believer and the unbeliever is absolute. It is dramatic. It is profound. We are not simply better versions of our old selves. We have been born again. That's the terminology the Bible uses. Does that describe you? Because it won't matter if it describes everybody else and not you. If not, then you should be alarmed because here's what the Bible says. If anyone, anyone is in Christ, so how would I know? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Does that describe you, your life? You were, bought, you were brought out of nothing, for you want, here's what the text today says, for you once You were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Can you think of a more stark change, difference, comparison? He says you were, and now you are. Do you remember that darkness was on the face of the deep in the opening of the Bible, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now that is how dramatic the work of salvation is. Your position has gone from chaos in the dark to order in the light. These are eternal opposites. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, there is no communion between light and darkness. And so if you look at yourself, you ever do that? If you look at yourself, or if others look at you, sometimes ask that question, what would someone else say about me? If they were looking at me, if they heard how I talk today, if they saw what I did today, if they saw how I worked and 
how I served, if they saw how I worshipped and how I prayed, if they saw me, what would they say? Do they have to wonder whether or not you're living in the light or the dark? Again, how do you act at home, at work, at school? Notice I didn't ask you how you act at church. I know how you act at church. You only got to do it for like an hour and a half. Now next week, we'll get into some more specific ways to understand exactly what it means to walk in the light. But right now, I want to emphasize something else. What I'm not concerned about is this. I'm not concerned, and you shouldn't be concerned, if you can put your finger on the moment that you passed from darkness to light. For some, their experience is that that occasion was as stark as someone turning on a light switch. Things were pitch black and all of a sudden the floodlights came on. That does happen. But for others, it's more like the rising sun at dawn, a gradual move from night to day. But the question is this, as you sit here right now, right now are you living in the light or in the dark? It's one or the other. To change the metaphor, you are either on the train or you are at the station. You can't be both. Being close to the kingdom of light is still darkness. I was once uh, flying out of Brooklyn and caught, went to get on the plane and, you know, they'll often overbook a flight. Well, this was a large plane and through some computer error, they had overbooked it by 50 people. So there were 50 unhappy people and I was one of them. I wanted to get home. I was the last person they let on the plane and there were 50 people or 49 people behind me. It wasn't, by the way, it wasn't because I pitched a fit. That was just the luck of the draw, as it were. They, they literally just drew a name because they had one seat come available. Now, here's the deal. I was the last one on the plane. The guy behind me didn't make it. That's how the kingdom works. You're either in Christ and in the kingdom of light, and you would know that by seeing uh, all the things we've been talking about and more. It'd be obvious, not, oh, I wonder. If you've got to wonder, you, got, you need to, to, to do some more digging. You need to get some more questions answered. You need to get your Bible out. You need to get on your knees. You. What's the nature of the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? For you once, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's it. That's the difference. He doesn't say that you once were in the darkness and now you're in the light. He says you were darkness and now you are light. Not only were you in the dark, the dark was in you. And now you not only have been enlightened, you are light. In other places, Paul hits on this idea, Romans 1.21, their foolish hearts were darkened. And in Ephesians 4.18, having their understanding darkened. 
Jesus describes the problem this way in John 3.19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The unbeliever loves darkness and that's where they'd rather be. I used to ride as a volunteer chaplain with the police department in Texarkana. And I, being a little morbid, I guess, loved riding on Friday nights from 10 to 3. That's another world. It's another world out there. People come out of the cracks and crevices and do things that they wouldn't do in the light, wouldn't do during the daytime. And so, they act one way in front of parents. These are people who like the darkness. They act different in front of their pastor or or church people, but they act a totally different way with their friends. Uh, They'd act different at work or with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I've seen many young people who knew how to say, yes, sir. They could say that to my face, or they knew how to show outward respect to authority, but who inwardly despised those to whom they were speaking. And as soon as they were out of sight, their vocabulary changed dramatically. But the believer has been fundamentally and dramatically transformed. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 for it is the God for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness creation who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ this is true enlightenment it's not enough to have the light shine on the outside we need the word and the spirit The Word is a light and a lamp, but that's of no use to a blind man or a dead man. This will require the work of the Holy Spirit. How did Lydia come to see the light in Acts? Acts 16.14 says, The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Who opened her heart? The Lord did. When God brought Ezekiel out to the valley of dry bones and he observed what? They were very dry. This massive valley of bones. Ezekiel first spoke to the bones, but only when he spoke to the wind, to the Spirit. Then the Spirit moved, and we read this, and the Spirit breathed Uh, And the breath came upon them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And we can get a crowd, but a dead army is worthless. Uniforms can't fight. You can have the uniform, but uniforms don't fight. And your baptism is not good enough. That's your uniform. Paul says you are light in the Lord and you are nothing without Him. Paul knows a little something about this, doesn't he? You remember 
what happened to him on the road to Damascus. He was headed out to do his dirty deeds when Jesus arrested him with blinding light. Stopped him in his tracks. Called him out. And soon the scales that had formed on his eyes would fall off and he would be a new man. And he would set out to change the world. So I ask each and every one of you, young and old, does the bright light of Jesus Christ shine in your hearts right this minute? Or are you anxious to get back to your dark corner where you can do what you really want to do? Walking in the light means living every moment in His light. Let me say this. This is really an unpopular thing, which is a good thing. It means that you, if you're living in the light, are an openly religious person. You ever hear people, oh, I'm not a religious person. Yes, you are. You're just not an openly religious person. Everybody's a religious person. It's just a matter of which religion, and whether you're open about it or whether you're going to lie about it. You say, well, I don't ever go to church, and I don't do that, and I don't believe in God. Yeah, well, that's just a different religion. I want to know, are you an openly religious person? Does being an openly religious Christian, follower of Jesus, to say that to other people, does that embarrass you? Does that make you... Cringe the thought of you speaking up and saying that? Are you uncomfortable in that kind of light? Jesus is the light of the world. And He called you to let your light shine in such a way that everyone else would see it. That is when we know that not just that you've seen the light, not just that there's light around you. That's when we know you're the light. When you can walk into a dark place and it lights up because you're there. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that each of us will separate ourselves from the darkness and bask in the light of Jesus Christ. That we will not only live in the light, but that we will actually be light ourselves as we reflect Him to the world. I pray for those who are Christian in name only, that they will be shown the light of the gospel, that the scales will fall from their eyes. We have young people who rarely think about you and who revel in darkness. We have adults who hide from you and pretend to live in the light. And we have, we have many who have been given a new name and a new position, but have yet to embrace the reality and power of living in the light. Help us all, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.